Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today, we're discussing Judy Dench's wild Borneo adventure. So I'll ask about orangutans, kubongs, and dung beetles. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. My first guest is an actor, writer, and comedian you might know from shows like Gracie and Frankie, Mystery Science Theater 3000, or a personal favorite, The New Negroes with Baron Vaughn and Open Mike Eagle. Welcome to the show, Baron Vaughn. Oh, hello. Hello. Uh, am I the bad? You're the good. I am the good. <laughs> then I must be the no. bad. Because I feel like our next guest is the uh, is the science. Is the science. That's correct. Yeah, but bad in like a cool way. Like uh, oh yeah, you know, like a jazz cat. Like like a bunch like a like that kind of Baron. You know that like well leave that boy alone. That whole song. Okay, actually, this is a great transition because I wanted to. Listen, we've discussed a lot of movies on this podcast, okay? And you are killed in one of the funniest movies of all time, <laughs> Black Dynamite. What a and fantastic I, introduction. You were killed in one of my faves. <laughs> I, had to, I had to bring it up. I had to say it. And I know we're not here to discuss that movie at all. But did you know while you were filming how like incredible that finished product was going to be i mean i what was that experience like well ethan uh i don't know why i'm surprised that you're such a super nerd but you know the thing is <laughs> like I'm, I'm 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 quite honored that you you've you, you've noticed some things that i've done uh yeah when i read the script i thought it was one of the funniest things that i've ever read and the script in itself works on all those levels that you see in the movie like in the script they're very specific when it's the actor who's playing Black Dynamite. Now it's time for a love scene. The actor playing Black Dynamite clearly is uncomfortable doing the scene. As if it's just in his contract. And I'm like, whoa! They're like really like, not only the characters in the movie, but the actors who are playing the characters are also yeah. part of the whole thing. And I was like, this is brilliant. And it ended up being better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I was blown away by that movie. And if you haven't seen it and you're watching slash listening to this, do yourself a favor and watch it after this. It's unbelievable. Baron, yes. speaking of Judy Dench's wild Borneo adventure, yeah. you got a really similar new show coming out, right? It's about to premiere called Baron Vaughn's Wild Beverly Hills Adventure. Is that correct? No, not at all. Uh, I wish that that was. 
<laughs> uh, correct. But uh, no, I'm going to be staying inside. That's that's what I'm going to be doing right now. Yeah, got it. Oh, doing uh, your podcast now and then, which I heard a little bit of. Yes. Uh, 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 yes. Self-quar. Uh, what was it? Self-quar? the name of it. Yeah, yes. my, my propensity to pontificate shows up again. Uh, it's just about, well, you know, clearly we're in an unprecedented global situation and everyone is having to deal with it as they have to deal with it. And obviously it's a bummer, but the point is we're still here and we still have to be here. So I'm curious as to what it is that people are doing to get themselves through this, you know, what it brings up for them and, and, uh, What's just been helping them? You know, who's been helping them? The ideas, what they're reading, all that kind of stuff. Like, that's what I'm interested in because, uh, you know, I need to, I need help, <laughs> you know, I think like everybody else. Well, it certainly helps me to listen to you. I'm sure many people feel the same. And, and speaking of getting through this weird time, it's a great transition to our next guest who's on the other side of the world getting through the same thing. So I'm very interested to see how... He's dealing with it. He is the lead scientist for the Nature Conservancy's Asia-Pacific region. He is responsible for ensuring that the Conservancy remains a world leader in making science-based conservation decisions. Welcome to the show, Eddie Game. Hey, thank you, Ethan. I'm having my own wild island ad adventure here because we're in lockdown currently in Brisbane and uh, every one of my neighbours has decided that's the perfect time to pull out power tools and demolish <laughs> parts of the house. <laughs> so, so you're going you're gonna to hear the, the symphony of uh, angle grinders and circular saws while we do this. Oh, great. Well, also super parallels the show that we saw. Um, I mean, I have so many questions for you, Eddie. First of all, we talked a little bit before the podcast, and, and Baron agreed with me. Your name's great. Uh, it sounds like a movie in and of itself. Eddie, I'm Baron Vaughn. It's rare that I meet someone with a name better than mine. I could have done more with that, couldn't I? <laughs> How did I be the scientist with Eddie Game? Yeah. I'm sure it helps you, I don't know, raise money or something, like if you just play the game.org. I don't know how you do it, but uh, I'm delighted to have you on the show. And honestly, I could probably do a whole pod just about your life. I was, I was reading some about you. You've been in over uh, 20 different countries. You've helped innovative methods uh, to projects as diverse as community protected areas in Melanesia, grazing management in northern Kenya, snow leopard conservation in Mongolia, forestry in Indonesia, and catchment restoration in Colombia. So first off, holy frigging mackerel. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, you know, I have a podcast, so I'm like super educated and shit. But for people listening, what is catchment restoration <laughs> well yeah good question and uh, you know just on my name Ethan you wouldn't believe it Google told me it wasn't a real name when I tried to set up a Google account they said no that's a made-up name I had to provide like six points of, of evidence that it was actually my name um, <laughs> you are not that cool right. yeah said, no, no one can have that name um, catchment restoration well I guess in in simple terms we've we've, we've pulled off so much vegetation we've cleared so many trees from catchments um, the, and the catchment is the area that water drains into a river or a creek from and as it flows across the surface if you don't have any trees it basically runs really quickly picks up lots of sediment and other crap and it ends up in the river 
catchment restoration is just planting trees again to slow that water running into the into the creeks basically wow okay awesome and i mean that seems super important especially considering considering this uh documentary where it seems like planting trees is the best thing that we can do for the planet right yeah i mean trees trees did figure out this trick of uh taking carbon dioxide out of the air (laughs) (laughs) that's That's pretty useful actually (laughs) correct me if i'm wrong but you've been to borneo is that correct oh yeah i've had the great fortune of spending a lot of time in Borneo. So many of those forests that Judy walked in were, were pretty familiar. Some of those characters were familiar. I haven't been pulled up a tree like she was, but, um, and I, and my trips don't usually start with champagne and helicopters, but other than that, there are lots of similarities. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I mean, I know that we can play clips on the show, so I'm sure we can just cut to a clip of Judy Dench drinking some champagne, but I kind of rather have Baron recreated. Do you mind uh, doing that? Well, for you us? know, Eddie, I'm so happy that you've actually been to Borneo because I, I, I can't imagine staying as contained as Dame Judy Dench stayed when she was looking uh, at the at the forest, at the at the wildlife, at the insects, it was just constantly this. Oh my! Wow! It's the most, it's the smallest, most nuanced amazement I have ever seen in my life. I would probably be way too loud and you know make something horrible happen. Like what? And then it's going to be like some sort of like oh, all the Katie did's ever are, are, are coming or something. But like how how was it? How was it for you the first time you were there? Were you that contained? Oh, you know, it's funny. the first time I was really in one of those forests, it blew me away was actually how noisy it was. I was kind of amazed. In that film, they kept on whispering all the time. I think, you know, maybe they were wondering if there were orangutan around them or something, but I could hardly hear everybody speak. It's so noisy in those forests when you're where there's so many animals making noise. It, it's pretty mind-blowing, but you never, I mean, Judy, Judy got the royal treatment flying over a helicopter, but that's what you want to do, because when you're standing in the bottom of a forest, you know, it looks like forest. It's sort of up here, right against you. You don't really see it, um, but yeah, I, I can see why she did that helicopter shot at the start. It's pretty epic to see it from that, that view. I had another question about the beginning of this show. Um, Judy just skims over this fact as she's narrating where she says that she recently adopted three orangutans and then just kind of keeps talking about the adventure she's about to go on but i was like wait wait wait, wait. <laughs> rewind a second wow, is that I, did ca- legal? I didn't Compe- catch that at all yeah she just kind of said it i had to have the captions on because i'm trying to write notes i'm trying to do my my due diligence here and i was like wait what how can that be a thing like is that legal for people to have orangutans? If Judy says it is. I, we, they must be a higher class organization. We just let people adopt trees. Um, <laughs> we haven't gone to orangutans. Well, would she possibly mean that maybe she's like supporting from a distance? Free. Oh, okay. I, I don't doubt that they could be at her place, though. She really... <laughs> That's how I saw it. I saw her drinking champagne with orangutans, and I was like, I guess when you're a fancy person, you can just get away with it. My, my, continue to frolic, Charles. Continue to frolic. Mm, that's very good. That's 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 her excitement. She never came back to her children, right? Her adopted orangutan children. I kind of expected we'd return to them at some point in the narrative, but I don't, do, do, did they ever come make an appearance? I don't think so. We got to keep watching. You got to you know subscribe to Discovery Plus and watch the entire way through, and maybe at the end you'll get a little you know the orangutans on the couch with her at home, and they're you know passing popcorn and stuff. I don't know. I don't know how it works over there. Um, I Listen, I don't know about you. Maybe, Baron, you will relate with me on this. I was stunned pretty consistently with 
how kind of calm and appreciative Judy was of everything without freaking out <laughs> about the dangers of the rainforest. I was thinking about that constantly, and they very rarely discussed it. So could you, like, walk me through what the dangers are, Eddie? Like, how do you prepare to go into Because they seem like they didn't even have, like, protective It really gear. was like, she just like, all right, champagne's down. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's go for a Why stroll. Why put shoes on? Why? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, there's more insects here than anywhere in the world. And they're, like, the size of a basketball. thing that is the worst, they're leeches. There are so many leeches in that forest and they never cut to a scene of like a huge swollen leech on her leg. But, um, yeah, that, that place is full of leeches and, uh, and uh, yeah, people prepare for them in different ways. I like to wear, I like to wear like small shoes and small socks so I can see them on my legs and get them off as quickly as possible. But other people sort of put almost a hazmat suit on. And, uh, one of the, one of the people working with me once she, with all this gear on and she covered all of her pants and her shoes in so much DEET, you know, that really strong insect uh, killing stuff that it dissolved her shoes. And then I, at that point I started wondering what's worse, the, the repellent or the leech bite? Because she really didn't want to get a leech bite. Oof. Well, what is that even? Luckily, I've never gotten a leech bite. Describe. Oh, so the, good, the thing about leeches is it doesn't really hurt that much, but they... um. They put a little antiseptic on so you, so you don't feel the bite too much, but then they put a lot of this anticoagulant stuff to stop your blood clotting so that they can keep on sucking. And so that when you pull it off, the blood just keeps coming and coming and coming. And, you know, you often get back to the field station and pull your leeches off and then just sort of walk little pools of blood around until you Oof. eventually start clotting up. I mean, I hate how you're talking about it so nonchalantly. It's so casual. Like, it just happens all the time. Like, I mean, how many times have you been leeched at a game? Uh, I've lost count. <laughs> oh, no. Oof. I do not envy I, you. No, that's yeah, they, terrible. They don't, but, uh, but you're... they don't put that in the kind of uh, Welcome to Borneo documentary, so people pulling leeches off themselves. I had a question, because it's kind of thinking about that whole uh, the catchment thing. Am I saying that correctly? Catchment? Where it's like this crazy, it sounds like an insane word, but it's, but it's the simplest thing ever. It's like, oh, this, the, but there's an order to it. So it takes a long time, I would assume, to study how, like, to find out, like, oh, we've, you know, this is what we're missing here. And I know that there's been a lot of different, you know, kinds of research about the delicacy of all these different ecosystems. But I guess that my question is, when you're in the, the jungle when I watch a nature, nature doc, like everything seems like it's in place. Like when I see an insect, it doesn't gross me out. I'm like, yeah, that's where, that's where, that's where that insect's supposed to be. Like a Katie did the size of my arm. That's where that is. Not here. I'm here. And when, if it was here, it'd be like, whoa, 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 what acronym? You know, in a sort of a way, does it feel like that when you're there? Do you feel like that sense of order? Yeah, that's a great observation. And I think it, it does, you know, especially when you're in a good forest. It's amazing. You don't even you don't have to be a, an ecologist or a trained person to be in one of these forests and think, hey, this is what a rainforest should be like. This is kind of the way it sounds and looks and feels. And then you go to some other piece of forest, you know, maybe like the stuff she flew across at the beginning with all the oil palm everywhere and the little patches of forest. And you can be in there and you're like, oh, yeah, something's not quite 
right here. You know, it's, it's a bit hotter, it's a bit lighter, it's a bit windier. Uh, the insect doesn't sound quite right. So yeah, I think you, you pick up that sense of order um, when you're in a good, healthy forest. That's fantastic. Uh, Follow-up question. I hope you don't mind, Ethan. <laughs> I love it. Please take over. I'm out of here. Speaking of that sense of order, it's funny because, you know, that part where she's flying over all of the... Um, the palm oil farms and all that stuff. And, I, and I've seen that exact thing, of course, in the Amazon. I've seen that thing in all of these different, well, important places around the world. And that's what we call a, a, a monoculture. Is that true? And that's like the opposite of the jungle. It can, is exactly the opposite. Can you explain why that is significant? Yeah, actually, can he be the scientist as well? This is great. Yeah. <laughs> Late night docs are paying the off. Dumb, <laughs> the dumb, the science, and the science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good, the scientist, the, yeah, all in one. Um, yeah, you know, that, you're so right. That, that is the opposite of of what you see. Those, those rainforests that she's in are some of the most biodiverse places, and that means the places with the most species, and particularly tree and plant species. It's extraordinary. And oil plum really is one species. You know, you just plant one over another, and then what? What the problem is with that is that all of the other, I don't know, all those insects, you know, remember that white sheet that they put up and there was like a thousand different species of insect on that white sheet alone? They all, every yeah, one of them. the thing I'm going to have nightmares exactly, about. Exactly. Yeah, 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 the size of your arm, the one that the cicadas that pee on you all the time. Yeah, they, every yeah, one of the them one has its own. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of, there was a lot of poo references in this, in this film. But, and uh, of course, a Spider-Man ant. That was my favorite. Oh, the Spider-Man ant. That's right. So many cool bugs. But they've all got their own, um, I guess they've all got their own niche in the And the more different tree species, the more niches, the more other species. So you take away down, you take away all those trees down to one, and you just don't have many places for things to live. You don't have many niches, many kind of you know, unique little things that those bugs occupy. That's the, that's the big issue. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. Uh, speaking of bugs, I do have to really, unfortunately, ask about them. Um, there's a centipede they're talking about that they that can kill a human. So I got to bring that up. I mean, is that, have you come into contact with that? Can you tell me how they kill humans? Like, what the F, basically, <laughs> is what I'm asking. What the holy F, Eddie Game? I fortunately have not come into um, contact with that centipede or any deceased humans as a result of centipedes. But uh, when I worked in, uh, I worked a lot in Papua New Guinea too, and, and the forests are similar in some ways. And they have a, a centipede there that they call chop off your arm because if it bites you, they say the pain is so bad that you that you would rather chop off your arm than continue to live with it. So I have no doubt that centipede bites are incredibly painful and I have no desire to encounter it. Have you had to encounter a lot of some of these poisonous species and uh, gotten the worst of it? <laughs> yeah, you sound like to me like a veteran basketball player who like, you know, when they talk about their injuries, it's like you don't really know the details, but they're like, yeah, I've had a broken ankle, three broken ribs, like my wrist is sprained five times. It's like, is that your, do you have just like a medical history list like that? Got a few of them, a few scars. One, one great one from Borneo, they have these big, oh, like big hornets and it was beautiful, big golden hornet. And I was right at the end of a day of forest, you know, I made it successfully through 
you know, eight hours of forest walking without any injuries and I could see the camp and I got bitten by this hornet. And I thought, oh, that's oh. kind of painful. It's not too bad, but it must have had some toxin in because it started sort of, I don't know, eating away the flesh of my arm. And two days later, I had this big hole in my arm. From what? My- oh, my God. How did what happened next? He asked. Yeah, yeah. I, you, you just heal up? No, no. I went. I went to hospital, and they sort of cleaned out all the dying flesh, tried to oh. clean out as much of the toxin as possible, and yeah, it healed fine. But I got a nice scar from it. How are they not getting f- bitten? How are they not getting injured? And I just that assumed that was going to happen is any second. The power now. of Dame Judy Dench. Even those insects were like, "Wait, that's the queen!" Like she's been. Elizabeth and Victoria, we can't mess with her. We just can't mess, we can't mess with her. <laughs> there's like a weird, there's a force field as she walks through uh, Borneo of just like the, everyone pays their respects. They like bow and then they just go on their way. I think that's right. You know, it was, it was just sort of calmness just follows her everywhere. Even, you know, when they, they took the, they sort of cut to her traveling companion at one point and he only lasted what two minutes before the thunderstorm came rolled in and they're like we gotta get out of here <laughs> that was something that i had to put the t- uh, the subtitles on because i couldn't i didn't understand how she described him at first but she said i i've brought my chap and i was like oh i think she i think she said boyfriend but like in dench you know i've brought my chap and i'm like i wonder how many chaps she has <laughs> just yeah, all around in every jungle say. just like you know, the South American chap. My chap for this part of the world, Kirk. A chap me. for every hemisphere. <laughs> I've got chaps in different areas. <laughs> That's very silly. The symphony, we were talking, you were talking about the, the sound of the forest. Like a good forest has the right sound you were describing. And there's this awesome sequence where at like 6 p.m., I think that was the name of the cicada, if I remember correctly, the 6 p.m. cicada. Is that what they really Is call there, it? Can you d- oh, wow. Okay. That's how many so species there are. How? The names. Just yeah. the 6 p.m. Right cicada, <laughs> Spider-Man ant. I don't know. That ant was bit by a spider. How about that? <laughs> so lazy your peers are so lazy at game. <laughs> um yeah so why i mean i assume it's called that because it starts making that sound at 6 p.m i mean they were describing it as like basically it's like a miracle that all these animals do it at the same time so is that like a temperature triggered thing or what yeah that, that that's a change in time of the day so you have a ton of animals that specialize in that kind of period between daylight and nighttime and 6 p.m. is right about there and because Borneo is right in the tropics you know it's pretty much smack bang in the middle of the planet it doesn't change much season to season so you call it six sort of a late you're right you are lazy it's like 6 p.m. because you know that's pretty much sunset every day of the year it doesn't matter if it's winter or summer because there isn't really those seasons so but that you know that that is the noisiest time of the the day because you have this I don't know you have all of the daylight animals just going to bed and saying their last goodbyes in a way and all the all the nighttime animals waking up and starting to say hey good morning to everyone and um yeah that that's also when you know we we use sound a lot to tell the health of forests and the best time to look at that is that evening chorus okay that's awesome um and there was one i gotta mention that cicada that i (laughs) could not believe the sound that it made like they touch this one cicada and it shrieks it really freaks out and makes what appears to be a very loud sound so can you tell me how it's doing that i'd never heard anything like that 
Oh yeah, that was terrific. I actually learned more about how that was doing that on on this show. That was a wonderful takeaway from this show. So you should just play that clip because they gave a terrific explanation about how it was rubbing its its legs against the cavity of its wings. And I'm not going to be able to reproduce that. Just off of what what Eddie said there, I was curious about what were some other like uh, some takeaways that you had from the show. Oh yeah, um, you know, I I thought there were some cool things. Right. Overall, they had a heap of good scientists on there, and I think that really helped. You know, and they covered uh, one of the things I loved is that they covered everything from like the cool natural history of animals right up to like big global trends to do with forests, um, and had and had the, had scientists who were you know that's a thing you might not be able to tell just from watching it, but a lot of those people, a lot of her chaps that were accompanying her at various points were were really good scientists, real experts, um, and so they weren't just they weren't just kind of like the media people. Um, Blowing in, you know, they, they, these are these are academics who are, who do work in that space, and so I thought I thought that was really good. And I thought the fact that they they talked a ton about the role of insects in general was great because you know it's be so tempting to do a whole show on orangutans or the kubong or you know cool things like that. Um, but yeah, they're right. I mean, insects drive the forest. Insects are what turn the trees into food for everything else, and even turn the trees into food for themselves again. So that that was pretty cool. That was fascinating, um, and and I'm, I, you must have been so pissed they didn't invite you on <laughs> to do the show. I mean, you've been there, like that's really rude and and really crappy of them. I'll say it. The dung beetle was one of those insects that they were talking about how how vital it is, how important it is to the ecosystem of the rainforest. And in case you're not aware, it, it doesn't have that name for for no reason. It literally is <laughs> rolling up balls of crap all the time. And moving it to a safe location where it can use it for its home and, I guess, food. One beetle's trash. You know, one beetle's dung is another one's wrong. I got no rhyme, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Lifeblood? Yeah, it's weird, but it's true. I mean, they were describing it as, like, if, they, if those dung beetles didn't do that, that they'd be, like, up to their waists in animal dung. Like, is that accurate? I mean, how, how does that work? Yeah, that's funny. I, actually, that, that was probably one of the few lines in that film where I was like, I don't think that's right. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> I've never walked through a forest. I've walked through some forests that don't have enough dung beetles, and I don't remember uh, having to sort of wade through the feces of other animals. But, uh, they Just swimming wade. through crap. <laughs> <laughs> like, Snorkel. Just like a dung Moses. Just <laughs> the part that... It's let it smell the whole thing. Oh my goodness. Uh, I hope you take that the right way, Eddie Game. You do look like a dumb Moses, and it's a compliment. <laughs> That's why I'm not on the show with Judy Dench. It's just if you ever get a special a speciality in the dung beasel and the dung diesel, um, that is a great thing to put on a business card. Eddie Game. Yeah. Dung Moses. That's that's the standing with I was waves of crap and a big staff. I was also struck uh I had never seen a thing about the um the stuff that was about the, the carbon dioxide and the the sort of the um the mapping that he did with the graphics and all that stuff. I had never seen anything that, that was like that. And he said uh, I don't remember who it was, but he said that that was one of the things that was helping turn the corner, maybe, for a lot of governments who weren't believing, I, I guess, you know, what was happening. Had you ever seen anything like that before, like those graphics? 
Yeah, that, that was terrific, wasn't it? It's a guy called Greg Asner who does a lot of that. Um, we call it remote sensing, which is basically taking um, images from satellites or from airplanes. He took all of those on an airplane. And, it, you know, it is. It, it, one of the things that it has done is really emphasize to governments all around the world how important forests are for the carbon budget, you know, the amount of carbon we have in the planet. And, you know, two big things happen, I guess, when you turn some of that forest into agriculture, like an oil palm plantation, you release a ton of carbon just because you chop those trees down. But then you also don't have those trees there pulling more carbon out of the air. And so the combination of those two things mean that if you keep forest there, even a little bit, it's so valuable. And so that that's, I think, what Greg Mann had turned the corner because you're seeing governments think, huh, you know, the best way that I can meet our carbon, our climate change commitments for countries that have made them it's just to stop chopping forests down. It's, you don't have to stop driving cars. You don't have to stop doing all this other stuff. Just stop, stop chopping the forest down, which for some places is easier than, than other options. Oof. And scoof. That's, that's what I get. I, I, those are my sounds I make because, you know, I have, a, I have two children, two little children. And my toddler, well, they're both toddlers, but my oldest loves the movie Rio, right? Not the best. However, there was a sequel, Rio 2. Surprisingly, there's a lot about poaching and farming and these people who are out there in all of these different jungles that are burning the jungle um, intentionally. And that was another thing that was really shocking in that in the, the graphic where he showed all that that satellite footage of all these different burning forests. And yeah, and, it's like the global fire. Ugh. You know, there's that song, this girl is on fire. And I'm like, what girl? Mother Earth? Um, so here's a question for you, Eddie Game. I'm here in California, you know, and we have fires all the time. My, my Today when I was out, I was like, oh, what, what, just like that, that thing where it's like, it's not just my allergies, but I'm like, I'm breathing in things that should have never been burned, you know, even. But... They are starting to talk about this thing, and I was curious about, you know, if you have heard about this in other cultures, indigenous cultures around the uh, the world, about some of these indigenous cultures had ways to kind of control the fire, like burn things in a way that I, I don't understand it, but I was wondering if you if you knew anything about that. Yeah, God, are you sure he's not the scientist? This is this is next level. Um, I mean, he's on the show because he's a genius. Get uh, out of here. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take all the compliments. Yeah, no, spot on, Baron. You know, so one of the things that, are, not not so much in forests, but you see this a lot in big grasslands. You know, see this in lots of countries in Africa, in Northern Australia, that what we've done as a as a kind of a European society is think fire is bad. What we have, we have to stop fire at all costs. And so... We, we try to suppress it and not have fires. And what that means is that you get all this extra, we call it fuel, but it's basically dead grass, dead trees and stuff lying around. And so when you do have fires, you have these catastrophically big fires. You know, I've seen them in California. We've had them here in Australia. Um, and, you know, releases a ton of carbon dioxide. And perhaps more importantly, the big fires kill a lot of trees. And we see the same in, even in rainforests. But what a lot of indigenous communities did that they used to manage and live with fire is they knew when to burn in the year so they would burn as soon as they could as soon as things became just dry enough which means that there wasn't a lot of fuel lying around so the fires are small they tend to burn out quickly they don't kill trees they just burn the ground cover 
um, a lot less destructive. And I think, you know, there's lots of places around the world thinking, wow, we, we could really learn a bit from that and start to change the way we manage fire. So as soon as it's dry enough, we should go out, Baron and I, and just light some stuff on fire? Yeah. Just to get it out of the way? Well, hey, here in L.A., there's enough. I still hear fireworks all the dang nabbed time in places where I shouldn't. So uh, hopefully that's, you know, that's this, actually that those is are just, one of the reasons some of these fires start, actually. Yeah. And, you know, people got to know yeah, those that babies gender for some reason. Just got to know it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a tricky balance too, right? Because one of the challenges in somewhere like California is that the, fi- the forest service knows what it's got to do. It knows how to burn, but any burning releases smoke, which kind of sucks for people. I mean, no smoke is good for you. And so they're, every day they're like, oh my God, well, could we burn? But if we burn now, there's going to be too much smoke in the city. So the d- number of days when they can actually burn is, is pretty small, unfortunately. And that's the same anywhere. And, you know, we don't, we don't really think about that as much in places like Indonesia, but we did some some research a handful of years ago about about those exact fires that you saw on that image and the the carbon is one thing but the impact on people's health the community's health in in indonesia is staggering like you know really a lot of extra people dying just because of the smoke from all of that burning oh my lord are there things that that we can do i mean obviously volunteer for the nature conservancy i assume uh, but you know, anything else just because I just naturally feel guilty and, and prompted to do something to try to help. I mean, but, uh, you know, give me instructions. I'll follow them. Yeah. Well, there, there are some, I mean, there are some easy things like a lot of those forests that, that Judy was in around them, they're being protected because they're actually still used as forest for logging. Um, which is not, I mean, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing because one of the reasons why, so much forest got cleared in Borneo is because people stopped making enough money from logging. And so they started thinking, oh, well, we'll clear the whole lot and grow oil palm. Whereas, you know, she, she kept on saying, oh, this last wonderful patch of forest. And it, it is, but it's completely surrounded by all of these logging concessions. And those logging concessions do a lot better when they're certified in some sort of international arrangement. So when you see little logos like the Forest Stewardship Council, um, you're buying timber where the people who manage the forest are really thoughtful about the impact on biodiversity. So that that little stuff like buying certified paper or certified wood makes quite a big difference. That's good to know. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. Um, I I have to ask about sun bears because... I think they might be my new favorite animal, or I guess top three at least. I had never heard of them before. If you haven't seen the show, they say they're the smallest bears in the world. Just that sentence alone captures me. I'm already just, I'm engulfed. I'm in. I thought the smallest bears were gummy. (laughs) Go ahead. That's what I said while eating them. Sorry to bounce from here Um, to there, but continue what you were saying. No, I love that. Um... Yeah, so I I don't know. I just wanted some more information about sun bears. I could have watched the whole thing just about sun bears. It made me so sad when they said that they're killed for medicine. Can you can you tell me about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that that they were good shots. When I even called my family over, I got little kids too. Bear, I was like, oh my god, you just see this baby sun bear shot that they have on there with the papa. What was his name? Papa bear that he was. 
Papa Sunbear. Yeah, Papa Bear. Oh, yeah, yeah. The luckiest guy in the world. Who <laughs> yeah. All his best friends are sun bears. <laughs> yeah, sun bears, are, they are ridiculously cute, aren't they? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really a shame. I mean, they, um, they've obviously lost a lot of habitat because of mm. oil palm expansion. But, yeah, then they're, they're hunted partly for their body parts. But the worst thing of all that happens to them sometimes is they, they do this harvesting of, of bile, of all things. You know, like this bear bile has this particular acid in it. And it turns out if you you keep the bear alive but in miserable conditions, you can sort of continue to extract bile from it oh. and sell it into the Chinese. And it's yeah, I'm sorry to get so morbid, but it's it's horrendous. It, it, that is truly horrendous abuse of animals. Um, but it's still oh very God. widely uh, practiced in from parts of East and Southeast Asia, and and some bears have suffered horrendously because of it. Protect these bears, oh please. <laughs> Yeah, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I got to get involved with some sort of Sun Bay organization. This is just like, uh, I'm sorry, this is so morbid that I was trying to come up with some sort of Godzilla joke, but (laughs) I was like, yeah, right, in Godzilla, they were harvesting the tusks, but I got got nothing. I got nothing. This is horrible. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, Damn. Yeah, Yeah, uh, that that, that really changed the tone, didn't it? (laughs) It's okay. I'm just thinking about uh, harvesting bears for bile. What were you saying, Bear? What you watching, Eddie? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> that's so dumb. And Gamora. I wanted to ask this because she did say that Borneo is the uh, what she said the third biggest island. Is Australia the first? I think actually they don't count Australia, so I think it would go. They don't count Australia. Much. Yeah, then they they don't count continents. So I'm pretty sure it would go Greenland, New Guinea, and then Borneo. Yeah, because Australia is the only country continent island, right? <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, I, I was going to say, but how can you just decide not to count it? I mean, it it you know it hits the prerequisites. What are we talking it's about? Yeah, that's right. You can't drive to anywhere else, surely. That's there's only one prerequisite for an island. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the one. Yeah. That's right. And it works. Uh, that's really strange. Um, so, okay. And and the the other one I wanted to ask about was the Spider-Man ants, which, yeah. which Baron mentioned before that some, you know, uh, sh- schmuck, lazy peer of yours named. <laughs> um, I, actually, I actually don't know if that's actually the actual name, but they said it. They said it in the thing. Um, but I was surprised by this ant because it squirts foam as they described and glues up its attackers can you tell me about that yeah that's so cool isn't it? you know this is actually the strategy that of squirting something sticky and gluing up attackers is really common i mean like there's probably thousands and thousands of insects in borneo that have something come what the, what they don't have and what i've never seen is one that you can pick up and just squeeze perfectly for the camera and it sort of sprays out you know like that, that that's pretty epic, um, but yeah, it's a really reliable strategy. You see it everywhere, you know, in, in the ocean too. It's just a good uh, defense strategy. Spray something sticky and kind of gross, and it turns out most things that were going to eat you think twice about it. I mean, that's also good life advice. Yep. <laughs> that's also that's also pretty that's good words they, to live by. I think <laughs> that's what they say. Yeah, if you're being robbed or something, to just like excrete as much as you can, barf whatever you got to do. I actually might just yell the word spray. <laughs> see what happens. Like yeah, that, that's a, a very kind of uh, post-pandemic uh, <laughs> way to give yourself personal spaces. 
Say it, don't spray it. Those that's actually important now. That's very important. And I, I, I gotta say, I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who is just watching someone else yell the word spray, and I'm pretty freaked out. Like, I think I would back up because I'm, I don't know, just the word. Like, I'm expecting the worst now. No, we can learn a thing or two from nature. We, yeah, we all, we've all learned something from Judy Dench's Wild Borneo Adventure. Yeah, I always thought it was kind of cute in the way that. I had this I, this thought because I remember her describing these trees and like they were talking about how like the majority of species live like at a certain uh, height, I guess, off of the ground in these trees. And uh, she was saying something about like how it's like a, a you know, like a, a, a condominium building, like you go up and up and there's different things. And I remember thinking like, Maybe it's more like a condo is like these trees. Like you know, is is not this is not the city the jungle of man? Have we not turned ourselves yeah. like it's like we're actually copying how jungles operate. Am I right? Or am I right? I mean, I think you're right as hell, but I mean what do I what do I know? Eddie Game, weigh in on this. Yeah, I I'm trying to imagine now some sort of condominium that just gets bigger and bigger as it goes up instead of smaller and smaller. <laughs> I mean, the penthouse is like the biggest room. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. We engineered it that way. And then I have to remind you of a certain futuristic documentary called The Jetsons, in which that's exactly what happens. Everyone's like, what's at the bottom? Uh, I think Scorched Earth. (laughs) Yeah. Fifth Element is the same way. You go to that. They have like a whole fog. Like That's like the, you know. The disgusting zone, like nobody's down there. It's scary at the bottom in the future of Fifth Element world. That's true. Like in Blade Runners, all that stuff is kind of like where the future's the jungle. Yep. We're, we're quote unquote, beasts again. Huh? Mm-hmm. Sci fi metaphor. Am I right? Isn't that also a lyric in that um, Alicia Keys song? Yeah. The Concrete Jungle? <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. See? There you go. Concrete jungle where dreams are made. Alicia Keys. That was just a clip Concrete from. Jungle. That was just a clip. Yeah, we took that stem, the acapella track. Um, so thank you to Alicia for letting us use that. That's unbelievable. Which here's my related question, Eddie. Which musician do you think's lyrics reflect really what's happening uh, in the jungles more than anybody else? Ah, that's a good question. You know, um, I. For for a number of field trips, for some reason my my, uh, I, I, my playlist wasn't working, so all I could listen to was uh, Jamie XX's album In Color, and so I, I find it really hard to separate anything happening in the forest from Jamie XX. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you Just go. Ingrained, <laughs> especially the opening track is something like, "Oh my gosh." That's like the opening line of the opening track. And, uh, <laughs> I feel like that was a lot of my parts. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> so it's got that thumping, pumping kind of energy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and it's loud. Yeah. That's what's happening. That's what's happening internally in Judy Dench's mind, mm-hmm. but it comes out so Goodness. delicate. Oh, it's simply <laughs> exactly what. <laughs> She's not even saying anything. She's not even. Even when she laughs, it's just a very like. Like, you probably can't hear my nose, but it's very like, Ooh, yes. uh, so good. She's awesome. Um, She's awesome. We should have just recorded this whole podcast with you as Judy Dench. People won't know. Like they would just be listening, thinking we had Judy Dench on the program. Yeah, that, I can do it. And then I'll do uh, Idris Elba on the other side. <laughs> People will be like, oh, perfect. Together again. 
in Borneo. Jody. Okay. I'm sorry. That's my address. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That was Oi, great. That Jody. Was good. Over here, Okay. I'm so sorry, Eddie. You're not British. No. You, you, but you probably heard it too much. Honestly, honestly, let's cancel all. Let's delete everything that we've done here. I just want to do the Idris and Judy pod. Please, please, please. Um, okay, my last question. I know we're running short on time. It's mentioned that this is one Borneo is one of the remaining untouched tropical rainforests, which explains why it has all this biodiversity, species of trees, et cetera, et cetera. So my question to you is, what other untouched tropical rainforests do we still have? Oh, good question. I, that might have been a questionable claim. I mean, I think un, untouched by chainsaws, but uh, I think if you ask the dire people of Borneo, they probably walked every square you know, acre of that place. I, I bet they don't see it as untouched. So it's lightly touched, lightly touched by uh, people with uh, slightly less destructive tendencies than, than the contemporary occupants. But there are, you know, the good news is there are plenty of other patches. We called it, we tend to call this forest primary forest. God, that's a boring science term. It used to be called virgin forest, but for some reason that's not PC anymore. So we call it primary forest. And there are mm-hmm. other other good patches in the world. Obviously, the, the Amazon's got some great sections of this. Uh, there's some left in the Congo Basin in Africa. Uh, particularly the, you know, in the DRC, Congo, and Gabon, and then in Papua New Guinea, they're really the they're really the places where you have these decent chunks of, of primary, untouched, lightly touched forests left. And God, they're important for biodiversity. Nice. Okay. Good to know that there's some. I I just had a, I had a you know pessimistic like expectation that you were going to come on and tell me, oh, that's it. There's <laughs> nothing else left. We. We screwed it all up. We scorched it all. Yeah, Judy, Judy can't do any other wild adventures because that's it. I mean, it's very hard to say that, like, you know, uh, I don't know. I guess I get, you know, obviously that we've had whatever administration, the states we just left, and there's been a stroke of similar people in places like, I want to say a country like maybe Brazil, in which there are similar people that, have, that um, are unfortunately seeming to be in control of one of the most important uh, jungles, rainforests in the world. Um, I just, I, I guess that whole thing about voting does matter. I don't know. I don't know what I want to say. I don't know what I want to say here. I'm just trying to be, I'll agree be with positive. Uh, speaking of that and trying to just, um, I guess, promote some positivity. Uh, Baron, I, I don't know if you have shows coming up because of this whole Delta scare. I don't know if you're putting things on pause. But if there's anything at all you want to tell people about, plug, uh, now would be the time. Yeah, just check me out on BaronVaughn.com. And uh, I'm also on, on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, if you, if you uh, Google me, you'll probably find what you're looking for, most likely. Excellent. Well, I super appreciate you watching Judy Dench's Wild Borneo Adventure on Discovery Plus and coming on to the show. Oh, it was quite wild. Oh. <laughs> Extraordinary. <laughs> 
Um, it was extraordinary to have you on the program today. I really do appreciate it. It's a delight to talk to you. And Eddie, anything you want to tell people about, uh, please? No, I mean, do, do watch the show. It was a great, uh, it was a great introduction to Borneo. You're going to see some stuff that, that you like and, uh, and learn a bit. I learned a bit. And um, there are lots of good organizations working to try and save those forests and the animals in there. So again, you know, take to Google and, and look for good organizations that are doing good stuff there. Any organizations you want to trash, any clown organizations that you can't stand, that you're against. <laughs> punk organizations. <laughs> yeah, punk-ass organizations. <laughs> label them now. Okay, you can pass. You no, can pass nobody? on that, Eddie. Eddie's yeah, that's fine. not a game. <laughs> oh. I know, I had to do it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> had to do it. Um, no, thank you both uh, for real so much, and... I'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. Bye-bye. And of course, if you want to watch Judy Dench's Wild Borneo Adventure, you got to do it on Discovery Plus. And the best way to do that is to go to discoveryplus.com slash goodbadscience for a free trial. Do it today. Mm-hmm.